You are dismissed to Children's Church. We are in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I'll be reading verse 3, but as I mentioned, we will be elsewhere uh, in that chapter. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as He sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of Thy coming and of the end of the world? Thank you. you may be seated. What we are looking at here today is called eschatology. That's a big word, eschatology. And eschatology comes from the Greek word, the root there, eschaton, which means last or end. And so what eschatology is, it's a study of the end times, the study of what things are coming up in the future at the end, the end of the world as the disciples asked here and so on. So this is eschatology. It's a big word. So if you want to impress your friends and family, just sit down and start talking about eschatology. And now you know what it means. But speaking of big words, and this is a classic joke, a classic joke. That means you've heard it before, but it's still funny. So there was this backwoods country church in West Virginia, and uh, they were having a business meeting, and they were arguing about buying a chandelier. And there were pros and cons. Yes, let's get a chandelier. Let's not get a chandelier. And finally, after this debate went on for a while, the chairman of the deacon stood up, and he said, I want to speak. He said, this church does not need a chandelier. First reason is, nobody can spell it. Second reason is, nobody here can play it. And the third reason what this church needs is more light. So, anyway, but you can now use eschatology and you'll know what that means. The study of the end. The study of the end. What's going to happen? So here we are in Matthew chapter 24. By way of introduction, this passage I read to you, verse 3, some readers see only one question in verse 3. They only see one question, but there's actually three questions with three different answers. Question number one is asked, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? Question number two, when will Jesus return? And question number three, when will the world end? Now the timing of the answers to all those questions is very important. The answer to the first question, when will Jerusalem be destroyed, was in their near future. So the people to whom Jesus was speaking, in their near future, they would see the destruction of Jerusalem. But the answers to the second and third questions were in their distant future and still are in our future yet today. That's why it's important to see three questions there, not just one. Because if you only see one question, then you have Jesus making a mistake. He's predicting that those people that he's talking to will see the destruction of Jerusalem. They'll see his return. They'll see the end of the world. And we know that didn't happen. So it's three questions there, not one. Now for further study for your own, there is a parallel, more detailed passage in Luke 21. So if you're taking notes, you can write down Luke 21 and check that out later. It's got even more details than we see here in Matthew chapter 24. So let's look at the answer to each of these three questions, starting with destruction. They ask, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? Jesus, if you look in verse 2, He noted the temple complex with all of its buildings, and He says in verse 2, the temple would be completely destroyed. He said, this temple would be completely destroyed. He says, do you not see all these things? Truly I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now the temple, he said, would be completely destroyed. Not only that, but if you look in verses 16 through 20, he says the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they'll be displaced. So not only will the temple be destroyed, but the people that live there, they'll be displaced. Now this was hard to believe when Jesus said these words. Hard to believe. Because the temple was the pride of Jerusalem. It was the pride of the Jews. 
And the temple being there, it was interpreted by them as God's permanent favor, God's permanent protection, God's permanent presence. Nothing can happen to this place, they thought. What if the United States Capitol were to be destroyed? I know some of you would say, yeah, well, they deserve it. But seriously, how would we feel as Americans if our capital were destroyed? It would be hard to believe. We couldn't even imagine something like that. What if on September 10th, 2001, you were at the World Trade Center and somebody told you it would be destroyed the next day? Would you believe them? I've been on the World Trade Center. I've been on both buildings. And if I'd been up there on that day and somebody said, you know, tomorrow you won't be able to stand here. This won't exist. I would say, you're out of your mind. And we know what happened the very next day. Both of those towers came down. Well, Jesus tells His disciples, hey... You see all these temple buildings around here? It's all coming down. It was hard to believe. How could this be? And yet Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome in 70 A.D. About 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, everything He said that would come to pass would. In fact, notice how He says in verse 2 that not one stone would be left upon another. The temple and Jerusalem was burned, but there was a lot of gold in the temple. And the gold melted between the stones, and so the soldiers looking for gold literally pried the stones apart. And so what Jesus prophesied here was literally fulfilled. Not one stone remained upon another. Jesus was a prophet, but He was way more than just a prophet. And though this was inconceivable, the temple's going to be destroyed. I mean, the disciples just couldn't even believe this. Though this was inconceivable, Jesus' disciples believed Him. And let's learn something from that. And that is we must trust Jesus and take Him at His word. No matter what He says, we must trust Him and we must take Him at His word. He told these disciples, all these temple buildings are coming down. They said, it's so hard to believe. But we believe. When's it going to be? We must learn from them. And we must behave in the same way. Trust Jesus and take Him at His word. Now I want to point out something else. And that is the word, uh, the phrase, these things. If you look in verse 2, if you look in verse 3, and if you look in verse 34, the same phrase is used, these things, these things, these things, and it is the key to interpreting the entire chapter. These things is the key to understanding. What Jesus tells them is that the present generation would see the temple's destruction. Future generations would see Jesus' return and the end of the world. And again, when you look at these things and how it's used in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 34, that whole picture will come together for you. So we see the destruction. That's the answer to the first question. Secondly, we want to look at the visitation. The answer to the second question, they said, when are you coming back? Jesus will visit this earth again one day. He will visit this earth again one day. First of all, through the rapture. Now, the rapture is in the air. When Jesus comes back for the rapture, it will all be in the air. Now, look down to verse 31. There will be a trumpet, and there will be transportation. It says, And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so there will be a trumpet, there will be a transport. And by the way, Paul concurs elsewhere in the New Testament. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, there it is, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's a trumpet, there's a transport. 
Now the rapture, Jesus says here back in chapter 24, is predicated by great tribulation. Look in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, Therefore then there shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And so the rapture is predicated by great tribulation and by signs in the heavens. Look in verse 29. It says there, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And so there's, the sun is going to be acting funny, the moon's going to act funny, the stars are going to act funny. But really nowadays, when the sun doesn't give its light, we call that a solar eclipse. When the moon doesn't give its light, we call that a lunar eclipse. And when the stars fall, we call that a meteor shower. Okay? The point is, the rapture is predicated by great tribulation and signs in the heavens. But what is the purpose of the rapture? Well, there are three. Number one, the purpose of the rapture is for Jesus to receive his people to himself. He talks about this in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 2. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, watch this, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so the number one purpose of the rapture is for Jesus to receive his people to himself. Secondly, is to remove his people from judgment. And thirdly, it is to repatriate his people to heaven. Again, look to verse 31. It says, And he shall send his angels with great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. And so why the rapture? Number one, to receive his people to himself, to remove his people from judgment, and to repatriate his people to heaven. So Jesus will return to this earth again. The rapture is in the air, but the return is actually on the ground. His return is on the ground. Now, it's interesting to note from verse 3 that Jesus and his disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives. Do you see that? It says, And as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked him these three questions. That is key that they were on the Mount of Olives because the Mount of Olives is where Jesus will touch down. When he comes back to this earth one day, he will touch down on the Mount of Olives, and that will fulfill a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4 that says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east, towards the west. There shall be a very great valley. Half of the mountain shall remove towards the north, half of it towards the south. The point is, they're on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples say, when are you coming back? And he says, well, when I touch down, I'm going to touch down right here where we're sitting and where you're asking me these questions. That is where Jesus will touch down on the Mount of Olives. But know this, when Jesus comes back to touch on the ground, not in the air, he's going to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to return to do battle. I invite you all to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. And let me issue this with an apology. Those of you that were here last Sunday night, I already mentioned this. Sometimes Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, they don't clash, but they, they overlap. And so uh, you've already heard some of this. But Jesus will return when he return and touches down on this earth. He'll return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to do battle. So be Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 15. I'm not going to read that, but I'm going to refer to it uh, throughout. So again, Jesus is coming back to do battle. Notice, first of all, the appearing. When Jesus appears, when he comes back to do battle, the appearing, he is followed by heaven's army. It says that in verse 14. It says, And the armies in heaven followed him on white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15 says he's also carrying a sword, and it's his word. Verse 15 says, Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And verse 15 ends by telling us that Jesus is returning to execute the wrath of God. It says there 
Uh, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so he returns, and we see the appearing. Secondly, I want us to look at the gathering. The gathering. All the kings of earth have gathered together. Look in verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So they're all gathered together and they think they're going to battle Jesus. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? They think they're going to battle Jesus. But look at verse 17. They've really been gathered to be slaughtered at God's supper. It says there, And I saw an angel standing in the sun... And he cried, saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God. Now, we've often heard about the wedding supper of the Lamb, how it's going to be like a marriage reception and you know when believers are joined with Christ and so on. That's not what this is. The wedding supper is for celebration. This supper is for destruction. And notice in verse 21, The birds will feast on the carnage of this battle. The vast last phrase there says, And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So we see the appearing, the gathering. Now let's look at the burning. There is a lake of fire and brimstone. Look in verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So there is a lake of fire and brimstone. We call it hell. That's how we refer to it. We call it hell. But all unbelievers will spend eternity here in this burning lake of fire. As we read there, the beast and false prophet are cast into it. This is an eternal punishment from which there is no escape. And so we see the appearing, the gathering, the burning. Lastly, let's look at the killing. The remainder of the armies are killed by the sword. Look in verse 21. And the remainder were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. The creative word becomes a destructive word. Now we know that Jesus created all that exists with his word. Let there be this, let there be that, let there be. We see here the creative word becomes the destructive word. And he kills all the armies of the earth. But Jesus will reappear both times. The rapture as well as his return when he touches ground. He will reappear both times in power and great glory. Jesus is not coming back as the Lamb of God like before. He's not coming back to be a sacrifice. He's not coming back to be our Savior. Now, He came the first time to be our Savior. And He died on that cross. And for all who receive Him, who believe that He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day, for everyone who believes, for everyone who receives, He is their Savior. But when He comes back, He's not coming back to be a sacrifice. He's not coming back to be a Savior. He's not coming as the Lamb of God. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. He's coming as the Sovereign of this earth. And He will rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. Again, He will reappear both times in power and great glory. Now, this is yet in our future, obviously. This is yet in our future. But it grows closer every single day. But you know, the world will not be expecting Jesus' rapture. And the world will not be expecting Jesus' return. They won't be expecting it. Jesus gives some examples. Look here in verse 40. I'll go back to Matthew 24, by the way. If you look here in verse 40, Jesus said, Then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. And so again, the world's not going to be expecting Jesus' rapture. The world's not going to be expecting His return. Two men will be in the field, one taken, the other left. 
Two women are working. One is taken, the other left. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, Jesus comes like a thief in the night. They will realize only too late that Jesus is for real. Whether it's at the rapture or later at His return, they will realize, hey, all this stuff I heard about Jesus, the Bible, it's all true. It's all real. But they will realize it too late. Too late. Too late. And the whole world will be affected. Everyone knows someone who's going to heaven. Now I know you, and I hope we're all going to heaven, but I'm just saying, in every family, even families that aren't church and so on, everybody knows somebody that's going to heaven. And so when the rapture occurs, those people are going to be gone, and it's going to be a problem. It's going to affect the entire world because everyone knows someone who's going to heaven. Even we believers, I think, will be caught off guard because we don't know the exact date. I know through the years there have been people who have set dates and said, make sure you put this date on your calendar. This is when Jesus is coming back. I remember I found back in 1988, this goes way back. Yeah, I'm old. Back in 1988, I found a pamphlet that said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Well, this guy actually republished the next year. Take a wild guess. 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. We don't have the exact date. We only know signs for which we can be looking And so I think even believers are going to be caught off guard. Oh, we'll be ready, but we'll be caught off guard. The whole world will be affected. And know this, that the rapture of the church begins the great tribulation. When the church is raptured, that begins the great tribulation. And the great tribulation begins with great calamity. Look back at verse 21 again. It says, Therefore, then there shall be great tribulation, such as it was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Again, the rapture of the church begins the Great Tribulation, and the Great Tribulation begins with great calamity. And then things only get worse as God pours out His end-time wrath. But here's what's really important. Jesus warns against being deceived. He warns against being deceived. Look in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So He warns them, Don't be deceived. About what? Well, a lot of things. Especially all these people that set dates and say, well, I know when Jesus is coming back and it's this date, it's that date, it's whatever. Don't be deceived. First of all, he mentions spiritual deception. Spiritual deception in verses 5 and verse 24. He says there will be false Christs. People will claim to be the Messiah. We have seen this in our own generation. People claiming to be Jesus the Messiah. And how much more likely would have it occurred back then He said there's going to be false Christ. And then in verse 11 and verse 24, he said there'll be false prophets. Those are all over the place, always have been. He said, don't be deceived. You're going to have this. But don't think because you see a false Christ or because you see a false prophet, that means I'm coming back right then. Don't be deceived. Then look in verse 9. He mentions Christian persecution. Christians being persecuted. He said, don't be deceived. This has been going on from the beginning of Christianity. Don't be deceived. Don't think because Christians are being persecuted. Well, that's it. Jesus is coming back. And then notice in verse 6, he talks about national contention. He says, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you don't be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There have always been multiple conflicts in every age. Jesus said, This must be so, but don't be deceived. Don't say, Oh, there's all kinds of wars. This must be it. And then he mentions natural commotion. Look in verse 7. After nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines 
and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Well, this has always been too. For instance, during the reigns of both Claudius and Nero, there were great famines in these people's time. Disease naturally follows war. If there's wars and rumors of war, disease naturally follows war. Earthquakes. In AD 61 in Phrygia, there was a severe earthquake. Again, just because you see these things, don't say, oh, that's it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to sell all my stuff. Jesus is coming back. No, he said, don't be deceived. There'll be spiritual deception. There'll be Christian persecution. There'll be national contention. There'll be natural commotion. But notice what Jesus says about all this in verse 8. He says, this is just the beginning. He says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Oh, there's one more. Look in verse 10. Personal aggravation. Personal aggravation. Let me read that. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Personal aggravation. Have you noticed today that everybody's offended? Everybody's offended. I mean, yeah, we say, oh yeah, there's all them liberals out there. They're offended by everything. Yeah, well, there's people who aren't liberals in the church who are offended. The very smallest little thing, they get offended. And sometimes they get so offended, they quit and they leave. Everybody's offended nowadays. But notice there's more. Betrayal. Hatred. And then notice Jesus says in verse 12, cold-heartedness. It says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. People are just cold-hearted. People don't want to help each other. We see about all the time in these big cities like New York where somebody's mugged on the street and people just walk around. They don't, they don't try to help. They might get out their camera and film it, you know, but they're not going to help. They're not going to get involved. That's cold-hearted. Again, Jesus says, Don't be deceived. Just because you see spiritual deception, Christian persecution, national contention, natural commotion, personal aggravation, don't think this is it. Jesus is coming back because this has happened in every generation. Even so, though, Jesus said to look up for our redemption is near. Look at Luke chapter 21. I told you there's this parallel passage. Luke 21 and verse 28. Jesus said, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. We may not like the bad news we hear. We may not like the bad news that we see. But remember, the worse it gets, the closer he gets. And so look up. Your redemption draws nigh. And so answering these questions, we see the destruction. That's the answer to the first question. And then we saw, secondly, the visitation. That's the answer to the second question. And then thirdly, let's look at the culmination. They said, when's this world going to end? Well, this world will end one day. Now, this is obviously still in our future, right? Does anybody think it's already over? I mean, right? This is still in our future. The world is going to end one day. And Peter says it will end by fire. Look here at 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are then shall be burned up. This earth will end one day by fire. But here's the good news. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. John talks about that in Revelation 21 and verse 1. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. He says, don't worry about this old earth is going away. It's going to end because we're getting a new heaven. We're getting a new earth. That same passage says we're getting a new Jerusalem and we all get a new life. 
What do I mean? Chapter 21 and verse 4. Here's the new life. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. How about that? This old world gets burned up by fire. There's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and a new life for all of us. Now you might say, well, Pastor Gary, that's pretty hard for me to believe. Well, put yourself back on the Mount of Olives with Jesus. When they're looking around at the temple and all the buildings, he says, you know what? These are all coming down. And they're thinking, ain't no way. Ain't no way this is all coming down. And within 40 years, it was all down. Not one stone was left upon another. Jesus says the world's going to end one day. It's going to end by fire. That may be hard for you to believe, but it's not me saying it. God is saying it through His Word. Even if it is hard to believe, believe it. But when's that going to happen? When is this world going to end? Well, Jesus says in verse 14, He gives us the answer, the gospel must be preached to all nations first. Before the world can end, the gospel must be preached to all nations. Let me read this to you, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Pretty clear, right? The gospel must be preached to all nations. Now, not to every person. That's not what Jesus says here. He doesn't say every person needs to hear the gospel. He says every people needs to hear the gospel. And let me tell you what. This, ours is the first generation in which this has been fulfilled. Ours is the first generation in which every, not every person, but every people has heard the gospel. Through missionaries, through preachers, through radio, through TV, through the internet. I was on a mission trip last summer in Panama. We were in the jungles of Panama. And guess what those people have? Smartphones, Wi-Fi, and data. And yes, they watch cat videos in Panama. The gospel's out there. Maybe every person hasn't heard, but every people has heard. Does that mean the world will end? No. But it does mean this. The world can end. Just because every person has heard, or every people group has heard, that does not mean that it is the end. All it means is the world can end now. Because Jesus said it can't end until every people hears. Every people is heard. The world doesn't have to end, but it can. So I want to lastly close with looking at the situation. Regardless of what happened in the past, and regardless of what's going to happen in the future, how is your present? How is your present? Are you right with God now? Is Christ in your heart? Are you in His hand? Let me be frank with you. Prophecy is not of particular interest to me because I prefer to ensure people are right with God now rather than focusing on what will happen in the future. I know these things are going to happen in the future. The Scriptures say so. And I believe them. But that's not my focus. Rather than knowing exactly what's going to happen in the future... I'd rather know that the people that hear me are right with God now. That's why I'm asking, what is your situation now? Yeah, all these things are going to happen. Absolutely. What is your situation now?
And let me just be trite here. I may not know exactly what the future holds, but I definitely know who holds the future. That's where I'm putting my trust. And I'm putting my trust in Him now. Not later on. Not once I see some of these things start to happen. Because remember, Jesus said, don't be deceived. You're going to see all this kind of stuff. Every generation has seen that. But every generation has also been given the opportunity to get right with God right now through Jesus Christ. And so I may have whet your appetite this morning. We're going to be spending more time, actually, looking at the rest of the chapter. And, and, and then we're going to start a, a mini-series coming up in about a month, all about the beast and the false prophet and all that kind of stuff. We're going to have all that coming up, okay? But my concern is, are you right with God now? Right now? The Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. It doesn't say, well, wait till you see if Jesus does come in the clouds. You see Him in the clouds. Oh, yeah, I believe now. I'm going to receive Him now. It's too late. Now is the time. Today is the day. Jesus may come back today. He may come back tomorrow. He may come back a thousand years from now. I don't know. But I know this. You can be ready today. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That He was buried for your sins and He rose again the third day. That is how you get ready. Believe in Him. Receive Him as your Savior. That's the only way to get ready. And then whether He comes today, tomorrow, even a thousand years from now, you're ready. You're ready. And so going back over this, there were three questions that were asked. Not one. Three questions. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? Jesus says, you guys will see it. Some of you guys will still be living. You'll see it. Then the second question, when are you coming back? We still haven't seen that. So that's still in our future. And when's the world going to end? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to that too. He says, once every people has heard the gospel of the kingdom. Well, I'm telling you, every people has heard. That doesn't mean he has to come back. It means he can come back. And because that is true, you and I need to make sure we're right with him now, today. Get right by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the excitement of eschatology, looking to the future. These things are all going to happen just as you've planned. But that doesn't need to be our focus. Our focus needs to be on getting right with you right now. There may be some here in this room, there may be some watching online who have not yet gotten right with you, who have not yet received Christ as personal Savior. Give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now, because now is the accepted time and today is the day of salvation. And then, once we're right with you, regardless of what happens in the future, we're ready. Make it so, in Jesus' name. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly.